The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. Now live from the Pirate Radio studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring the voice Jeff Charles and his special guest, former NBA player Tree Rollins. On today's podcast, Jeff and Tree will have a great discussion on his life in the NBA and look back at his college days as well. Sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio Podcast starts right now. Thanks, Shirley. We are delighted to welcome Wayne Tree Rollins to Pirate Radio. He played 18 years in the NBA for five different teams, most notably the Atlanta Hawks, where he was a first-round pick, the 14th overall selection in the 1977 NBA draft. After an all-ACC career at Clemson, where his number 30 is retired, he had just a terrific career, both in college basketball and also in professional basketball. What a career, and now at age 66, he lives in Orlando these days. Tree, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm a poor old guy, we'll say. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> i tell you what. I remember you so well from our days uh, in Atlanta, and we had the opportunity to get to know each other there. Well, let's start from the very beginning, Tree. Let's start about, uh, you know, when you were a youngster and the nickname. After all, you are 7-1, so we understand the name Tree. But where did it really come from? Uh, it really came on the playground. Uh, you know, it was just out one day. Uh, in high school there and you know how kids are we was joking around and I was very 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 skinny then with big afros so one of the guys said you, you, you look like that tree over there and of course it stuck with me <laughs> well at 7-1 I was going to ask you Tree are there big people in your family uh, how about your mother and father well my mom she was 5-6 my father was 6-3 so I kind of like, I grew up with them, of course. So I had an uncle who was 6'8", and that's, that's about the height as far as I, I know in my family, family tree. So when you grew up, I mean, were you always like the biggest kid in your class? Not really. Uh, about my sophomore year, and those were the terrible times of integration and all this and that, and uh, so for my sophomore year, I had a growth spurt over the summer. And I got tall there because I really wasn't playing organized basketball yet. And, you know, I got that growth spurt, and that helped me out. And my uh, junior year, I started playing basketball. Wow. So you were a little bit of a latecomer to the game, and you played at Crisp County High School in Cordell, Georgia, and then started to make a name for yourself there. What was the recruiting process like? Recruiting was like crazy, Jeff. I mean, I, I, you know, I never had been on an airplane before, so I took advantage of that. You know, seeing like every weekend I was at a different college. And, you know, for sure I kind of figured I wasn't going to go to this one or that one. But I took advantage, like I said, to just to get the experience of flying, so which was very good. I enjoyed that. But recruiting, I got recruited by just about anybody and everybody you could name. From the Ivy League all the way down to, you know, the SEC. I mean, they was coming in every weekend. I'm sure it was great for the economy of Cordell. <laughs> <laughs> At least the hotels made a profit off of that. Yeah, I bet so. But then you choose Clemson. Tree, why did you choose Clemson? 
Well, Chose Clemson, I don't know if you ever know much about Cordia. Cordia at the time, we had about maybe 15,000 people, we'll call it. And, you know, again, it was very turbulent times then, and I, I didn't really have a, a sense of, of the world. And so I told my mom, you know, I wanted to go to a small town, small, you know, small school. So Clemson fell right in. Uh, at the time, Coach Tate Schlock, who was the uh, coach there, uh, he spent a lot of time coming down, visiting us, and watching me play play high school ball. So we we got a nice rapport with, with him and developed, you know, a little relationship and he promised promised my mom he would take care of me, which he did. And, you know, I really appreciate that. But that was the reason I kind of chose Clemson. As you know, Clemson was the, really the bottom team in the ACC. That's by what I call the real ACC teams. But, uh, you know, I was able to go there. I wanted to play. And he told me I could, I could get, some, get some minutes. He didn't promise me starting. But I, I ended up starting. And uh, so that first game I started and, all the way to my last game of my my uh, college career, so I was I didn't miss any games, and uh, four year starter. Well, you had some great years there. You had a great career at Clemson. Going back to some of the glory days, Tree in the ACC. You played there in the seventies, and a lot of folks is, still remember those games. Remember the great teams, the great players that you played against there. Talk about uh, playing against some of those great teams and, and some of those terrific players you played against when you were at Clemson. I guess the most notable player for me, you know, as I, re- I look back on it, was David Thompson. You know, I never saw a guy that small, you know, jump so high and that good. You know, again, coming out of Cordell, we didn't, we didn't have anything like that. But David Thompson, then I saw a guy, Tom Burleson, on the same team. Uh, he was taller than me. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's going on, right? <laughs> but, you know, everybody from John Lucas, who I'm, I'm still friends with now, you know, he, he was a great player there in Maryland. Uh, of course, Phil Ford with the four, famous four corners at North Carolina. You know, again, it was a, just a great time. So those guys, you know, I, I looked up to them, and I tried to learn from them by watching them on the old eight millimeter films and film film work. But uh, but again, ACC, you know, it, it, was, it was tough. And you know, I'm glad I chose you know Clemson to go to the ACC, and I got got you know I was like I said earlier got to play. And so every game, you know, we was underdogs. I can't remember a game where we were supposed to win other than the preseason games. <laughs> but we was the underdogs, so you had to really fight and claw. And I think that really developed my really love and my, my for the game and, and developed me really learning how to learn how to play. Uh, Tate Slock and his crew did a great job of preparing us for each and every game. So, you know, I carry that all the way through now, even when I teach kids now basketball you know i go back to the just learning you know you got to learn the basics you can't just go out there and roll the ball out and start playing this might surprise some people and this is quite an honor you are the first athlete to have your number retired at clemson trey as you look back on that ceremony i mean you must really be proud yeah i mean they caught me off guard there jeff <laughs> i had no no clue the only thing i was thinking about that game was dunking the ball if you remember now, during during my time, you know you could not dunk the ball during the game. It was yeah, not even doing warm ups. So my thing was to get a dunk in to end my college career, and I, I was able to do that. I dunked the ball, and the end we was on was right to the tunnel to lead to our locker room. So I dunked the ball and went on to the locker room. So it was game over for me, career over for college. 
So I, I never forget. They came in and said, well, you got to come back on the court. I'm like, for what? You know, I thought, you know, going to give me a tech for Duncan. <laughs> What's going on? But they escorted me back to the court. And, you know, I guess they told the crowd to stay there. I mean, it was Pike House. And uh, Jim Phillips, who was our radio guy, he came back in the locker room and um, got me there. And they escorted me to the uh, to the court. And I had no idea what was going on. They caught me completely off guard on that. I, mean, I was knew my college career was over, and I was going to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen with the NBA. But they they brought me to midcourt, and the cer- ceremony began. And you know they brought out this framed jersey, and again I have no idea what was this about. But they started ceremony, and and they were telling me they was honoring me to be the, the first athlete of any sports to have their number retired. And uh, Clemson have had some great athletes from baseball, soccer, football, you name it. And to have that honor, you know, I, I remember my heart just like, just like melted pretty much. And uh, it took all I had just to get through it. But again, looking back on it, it was something that that, that just, you know, not only for me, but for you know, my mom was at that game, so it was great for her also to, to see her son, you know, achieve such high honors. And uh, to, to have that at Clemson, I mean, Clemson is a great school. And uh, so, you know, I just can't put into words how I felt. It stayed with me for about a week, man, before I got over it. <laughs> but, uh, but I got over it. And, uh, again, I still go back up to Clemson every now and then. I also was inducted into the Clemson Reign of Honor. And that's a bigger deal to be in the reign of honor because now you're talking about some athletes boy and uh so you know again i was I'm really happy for that we are visiting with tree rollins and uh, that's a great story by the way tree and then of course uh your days at clemson are over as you mentioned on to the nba 11 years from 1977 to 1988 with the Atlanta Hawks, that was a great run for you guys. You had some great teams. I wanted to ask you, though, about playing for legendary coach Hubie Brown. What was it like playing for Hubie? <laughs> coach Brown, Jeff, I have never, ever seen any coach like Coach Brown. And, uh, he, you know, he worked, he prepared you. It was his way, his way only. So you did it his way. I mean, to training camp, uh, it was pretty much the same thing every year. It was ground floor skills. I mean, we had charging lines, or rebounding drills, you name it. You know, I'm, you know, you had to be able to do it. So he had you ready to go. I mean, film work, he had you prepared. So again, it was his way. Uh, you don't get to play. And uh, funny thing about that, you know, my friends asked me, man, why don't you shoot the ball, man? Why don't you shoot the ball? And, you know, Coach Brown told me, you know, if I wanted to get on that floor, you're going to rebound and you're going to block shots. <laughs> and like any basketball player, you want to shoot the ball. Sure. He had his, had his players who's going to shoot the ball. If you play two or three, you got a chance to shoot the ball. But four and five, you got to eat that glass. And, of course, the one, I mean, he had to run the show. And that's how I was. That's how I learned how to play uh, NBA ball. And the great thing about our team again. We was wasn't really picked to win anything. I never forget about my first year. They predicted we would win 15 games out of 82. And I'm like, oh my god, what's going on? What, what what is this? Only 15 games. I think we end up finishing uh, 500, and uh, we, we lost in the first round against Washington. I think with Kevin Greeley, who was a great great 
basketball player. You know, it was a great experience being in the playoff, you know, your first year, your rookie year. So that, that was incredible. And uh, that's kind of how I think the fans of Atlanta kind of start taking a liking for us because we played hard and, uh, you know, we gave it all out to win a game. I mean, we didn't win all the time, but we gave you a show. We really gave you a, a legitimate, truthful, hard-working show. And uh, Coach Brown, he would start, you know, I didn't start my first year. Uh, I think Steve Halls was our starting center at about 6'9". But we had myself, Eddie Johnson, a couple other rookies, Charlie Chris, if you remember him. Sure. Yeah, we was the second unit, and we came in, and, you know, we did things that you don't see nowadays. We pressed the whole time at every free throw. We pressed in your full court. And uh, so I I haven't seen that in the NBA, you know, the modern NBA, as my son called it. But uh, but, but Hubie had a plan. And uh, his plan worked most of the night. His plan worked, even though we didn't win the game. Hubie is a remarkable guy, as you well know, Tree. He's, I believe, either 88 or 89 years old now, still doing television work, still doing NBA games on TV. He's uh, he's a lifer. He's a basketball lifer, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He he, he sure is. And like some of the games, when I watch the NBA game, you know, I try to find and see if he's on the radio. Like Hubie, uh, Richie Alabado, who I, I worked for with the Magic and also with the WNBA, they had a group of guys. I think they came out of somewhere in New Jersey, like you know Mike Fatello, Hubie Brown, Richie Alabado, Brendan Sir, all those guys. Man, Brian Hill, who was our scout at the time. I mean, those guys. You know, you look back at their career. It's basketball. I mean, it's like living and breathing basketball. So you know, I was very blessed to be able to hook up with those type of people. And, you know, as I look back on my entire career, I was blessed to hook up with, with great coaches. I mean, from Chuck Daly, you know, of course, Hubie, uh, Richie Alabado, uh, Lenny Wilkins, I mean, Rudy Tonjanovich. I mean, that kind of like the cream of the crop, man. No doubt. No doubt. So, you know, I, I took my learning from them, and I picked certain things from them that, that I tried to you know, pattern them out there. And so that was great. That is a who's who of coaches. No question about that. Tree, I wanted to ask you about the 82-83 season you had for the Atlanta Hawks. That maybe was the best season that you had in the NBA. You led the league in block shots. And what's really amazing is, you know, when you retired, you were fourth all-time in block shots in the association behind only Akeem Olajuwon, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Mark Eaton. Boy, you must look back on that with a sense of pride, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. All those guys, you know, I got to spend some time with. <laughs> and true story with Kareem, <laughs> I got to tell you this one. Sure. With Kareem, uh, my rookie season, all right, big up blocking shot. You know, I'm, I'm looking at that at, at, at tape, and I say, I can get that hook. Man. <laughs> the sky hook. hook. Yeah, and, like, you know, that's almost impossible. So I, you know, I said I'm gonna get it, and I think when we played them in, in Atlanta, uh, first game in Atlanta, and uh, so I got the block, man, Jeff. I got the block. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he came down and gave me eight in a row. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Left-handed hook. Yeah. And as we were running back down the court, he looked at me. He's a young fellow. Don't you block my shot again? Said, no, sir, I will not. <laughs> That's a great story. In a row, Jeff. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. 
Yeah. So who was you, – you mentioned all these the great coaches, and, and now let's get to some of the great players that you played against, Tree. Who was the toughest matchup? Who was the toughest guy to guard? Jeff, I really couldn't put 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 a number one on it, but I can give you a couple of three, baby. Okay. Uh, Moses Malone, who almost matched up with – I mean, hooked up with me at Clemson. He visited Clemson. We thought we had him. But he chose not to go to the. I mean, not to go to college. He went on and played played professionally. But Moses was great and tough to deal with because of his quickness. I mean, sometimes he shot the ball just to miss it, so he can go back and get the off, offensive rebound and get an easier shot. But you know, like my rookie year, Chip. I mean, I had Kareem, uh, Bob Lanier, uh, Artis Gilmore, Jesus, uh, uh, Dave Cowens. <laughs> man, man, you talk about getting beat up. There are Dawkins. I can hear Hubert Steele saying, "Get around him, get around him, get around him." But uh, I mean, those guys, man, my rookie season every night, man, I'm getting my head beat up, man, because you know they was just so so much better than I was. And so you know, like I, I said, I can't give you one, but that whole group, uh, my rookie season. I think when you look back, if you go back and look at those guys, those guys was pretty much screaming the crop during that time. And so, you know, again, I had a learning experience. But I think, you know, I really learned with a guy by the name of uh, Willis Reed. I'm sure you know that name. Absolutely. And uh, when Fatello took over, Mike Fatello took over, uh, he brought in Willis Reed as an assistant. And, you know, I thought I was learning at a fast pace. And by the second or third practice, Willie Willis told Fatello that he was going to take the big guys on the other end of the court and teach us how to learn, learn how to play, you know, professional basketball. And he took us down. He went big, little. That's the first time I had experienced that. And so he just taught us, you know, not only did he show us on the floor with drills, he also, you know, had a brain session with us, you know, about twice, three times a week. And really telling us what what we should be looking for. He taught us how to read read the body language, and he taught us about something. I think if you ask probably half of the NBA guys now, the Marlin guys now, to name and tell you, explain to you what are the lines on the court and what do they mean. And again, that was new for me. You know, the, you know, the twenty eight foot marker, the you know third hash mark at the nail. You know, the nail is the middle of the free throw line. And stuff like that. So that terminology kicked in, and that helped me a lot because I knew, you know, if you're on the, on, on the block, or the box on the block, there's only certain things you can do, and that helped me out a lot defensively. So I don't, you know, took some of the guesswork out of it. So again, you know, I, I, I've been blessed to be around people that really helped me learn the game. And I must mention Ollie Johnson. He was small forward with the Hawks. And Ollie told me, young fellow, you sit by me. When you come out of the game, you sit by me. And Ollie would, would talk to me, and he would tell me what's going to happen before it's going to happen. And so I picked up that skill. And so, you know, all these little skills that I was picking up and all the guys that were sharing their knowledge of, of, of the game of basketball with me, again, you know, I credit them to, to helping me become the player that I became. We're visiting with Tree Rollins, former Clemson great, former NBA 18-year veteran, and you mentioned a lot of great players from yesteryear, Tree. Let's talk about today's game. How much do you watch the NBA today, and who are some of your favorite players in the game these days? Well, I guess I'm just like most fans. I mean, you know, 
<laughs> of course, LeBron, I watch watch him sometimes. And uh, Durant, I think he, he, you know, he's incredible. I mean, he's incredible. I put him up there with Michael Jordan. He's just incredible. But uh, you know, I don't watch much much NBA ball now. But uh, you know, I watch you know I watched the All Star Weekend the past weekend, and I wasn't happy. I mean, I was disappointed. I think you know the game have have really changed, matured uh, to a place where being a former player of those days where we was pretty much building building the league and everybody played hard, you know, for the for for a big guy to win a three point contest, I mean right there kills me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that did it for me. I said, Oh, you kidding me. <laughs> you kidding me. And uh just going back to Huey, if I took a shot outside of fifteen feet, even in warm up <laughs> I, mean, I mean he would get on our case. Huey had people in the stand doing warm ups seeing what she was doing and uh they reported back to him but but <laughs> you know my son he tells me that dad this is just a different game uh you know everything grows which is true and uh, i remember the struggling days of the nba obviously the, the powers to be was trying to see how how we can keep people interested in the game uh they made rules changes of course they had to make rules changes to adapt for the foreigners that came into the league and you know, I understand the business, <clears throat> the business side of the NBA. I mean, they got to spread spread the market. Now, you know, obviously, you know, it's worldwide now, and a lot of things had to be adjusted and changed in order for everybody in the world to enjoy the game and more or less understand the game. So I understand that part. But for me, as a former player of my generation. It's kind of tough to watch right now. Well, you're right. I was shocked when Carl Anthony Towns won the three-point shooting contest. But in the game itself, and I watched the All-Star Weekend too, Tree, in the game itself, that exhibition that Steph Curry put on, 16 threes, he scored 50 yeah. points. Have you ever seen anything quite like that? Well, I'm going to say yes. I refer back to, I don't know if you remember when we uh, was playing games down in New Orleans. Uh-huh. And you remember Bird went completely off on us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had about 60 points. Uh, of course, when Dominique was trying to get the uh, scoring champion, I mean, we fed him the ball and fed him the ball. But, you know, to be able to score. But Steph Curry, I mean, he he, he just does it with his eyes closed. I yeah. That's a problem the shooter. Uh, look like he just no effort. He just shoots the ball. Yeah. And uh, just like his father, I would say. But, um, but, yeah, he put on a show. He put on a show and, you know, for the powers to be, NBA All Star Weekend, that's what it was about entertaining. And he definitely entertained everybody. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I know Dell Curry well. You played against Dell, I would guess, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I played Dell. Dell shot a couple threes on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trey, you complete your playing career, and my goodness, 18 years in the league. I mean, that is terrific. Not many guys get to play 18 years in the NBA. Not many guys get to play 11 years with one team like you did with the Atlanta Hawks, but then sooner or later, you have to transition out of playing basketball into another life. Some guys kind of struggle with that. Some guys make the transition seamlessly. As you were kind of winding down in your career, what were you thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life, and how did you make that transition? Well, I mean, obviously by now I have, have fallen in love with, with NBA ball. So I was thinking about how do how do I get to stay around the game. And as I talk to uh, young people today who wants to be involved with NBA, there's a whole bunch of other things you can do other than play. 
And, you know, I was thinking about scouting or front front office type work, something like that. But my last team, I call them our last uh, team, was was Houston. I was at Houston, uh, ended my contract, had a two-year deal there. And I got a call from a guy from the past, Brian Hill, who I mentioned earlier, he was a scout at uh, the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, he told me about what was going to happen. He was going to be the head coach. And uh, they had some guy back down there, you know, that needs some training by the name of Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I thought about it, talked over my family. And uh, do I try to play, you know, active another player year, or do I go on with my second career in the NBA, which is coaching? So I accepted the job with the Magic. I became an assistant coach with the Magic. And uh, tutoring, the main job was tutoring Shaquille O'Neal. And uh, so I'm glad I, I made that decision. And, you know, of course, I, I stayed with the Magic for a while. Then from, from, from Orlando, I, I coached with uh, Indiana Pacers for two years. Then from there with the Washington Wizards now, uh, coached there with them for two years. And uh, from there, went to the WNBA and ended up coaching with the Washington Mystics <laughs> for two years, or really three years, because Rich Alavada was the head coach. Again, I got a call from him and said he needed some help. And I never coached women before, never even really trained women before. And so I went up there, and uh, he ended up resigning up there, and then I was head coach there after he left. And from there I went to the uh, Chicago Sky on the Pokies Chapman. Uh, I spent two great seasons with her there. We, we made the finals one year, should have won it, but uh, but we didn't. But, you know, it was great to, to work with the women because they really – love the game and they want to get better they want to be like the guys as far as playing basketball so they they really had their ears open when you get a former player and former coach talking to them looked like they were really ready to absorb everything i was telling them yeah i wanted to ask you about that tree if you could elaborate on that for just a moment is there any difference to coaching women versus coaching men you've done both well i would say the women they listen a lot better because most of the time with the guys, they know it all, you know, they know it, everything. And But with the women, I mean, obviously they can't get off the floor like the guys, even though they're still trying. So you have to have a lot of skill work with them. And they're very skilled. I mean, if you take take the blindness off and you look at them like just pure basketball players, I think the women overall are more skilled than the guys, basic skills, because I think as guys sometimes we just – rely on our strength and our ability to get off the floor as far as jumping. And uh, I, we had a girl, what was her name, a young lady with uh, Washington. Oh, gosh, I can't call her name now. I mean, she shoot the ball just like Steph Curry. But she was small and she wasn't very physical, so we couldn't really play a lot of games. But we had an exhibition game against a foreign team. And, man, Jeff, whew. She shot the, you know what, out of the ball. <laughs> she shot it, man. And Lori, 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 I got the first name, can't call the last name. And that put a lot of heat on the coaching staff, though, because Lori put on such an exhibition in that exhibition game that, of course, you know, it would be Jim, put Lori in, put Lori in. But again, <laughs> they would take advantage of her because she just wasn't physically strong enough to, to compete with, 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 with the other players. But there's definitely a difference. And. You know, if I had to choose one or the other, I mean, just, you know, if the basketball power say, uh, okay, well, who you want to be with the rest of your life as far as coaching? 
I think I would choose the women. Really? I mean, they have they have their moments when they are being, you know, I know my girl going to get on me about this, but being quote-unquote women, <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't really, they don't, you can't tell them what to do. They want to do it their way, but they always, in my experience, they always fell back on, on the teaching of the, of the coaches. Well, you've been out of coaching now for about seven years in retirement now in Orlando. Trey, I assume you're enjoying retirement. Tell us a little bit about your family now. You've been married to your wife, Michelle, for a long time. You guys have four children. Uh, what's life like for Tree Rollins these days? Well, life these days, retirement is not what it builds up to be. <laughs> <laughs> because you're retired and you got nothing to do. You call your buddies and they're working. I <laughs> <laughs> got you. Get away. Yeah. But uh, what I'm doing now, we, we have... Uh, Retired Basketball Association, uh, we call the National Basketball Retired Player Association. We have about 12 chapters around the, around the United States, uh, everywhere from L.A. to Orlando, up to New York, uh, uh, what, Detroit, Houston, Cleveland. And what we try to do is keep ourselves relevant as far as getting back, staying in the, uh, staying, you know, staying in the neighborhood. Uh as far as doing basketball clinics, uh, help feed the hungry, just different events we put on. Uh, we just uh, partnered up with uh, the black schools to uh, give scholarships and free scholarships, as long as you got a, a, at least a 3.0. And you know, just different things like that. We try to you know solicit sponsors in order to fund the programs that we try to put on. Uh, we've got the STEM program going on, and just a whole bunch of things that we think, you know, that is needed, you know, in our neighborhood. Like, you know, obviously when the pandemic hit, we, we, we did a lot of work getting, getting masked and getting tested. And just, there are small things, but there are needed things in our neighborhoods. And so, you know, I'm enjoying doing that. I'm the president of the Orlando chapter. And uh, we got we got guys, other former players, uh, just chip in and make time and like I said, you know, just help our neighborhoods out. Uh, do reading at the schools. Uh, right now, my focus now uh, with the artistic group at one of the schools here, one of the elementary schools. And you know, you're talking about smart kids. Those kids are smart, man. I don't know why they are. <laughs> we say they got a disability. Those guys, those kids are very, very smart. I mean, but but you know, just little things like that. And keep me not busy, but keep me, you know, off the couch anyway. Yeah, exactly. And you were right about those kids. In fact, we were just in Orlando, East Carolina, played UCF, and they had those kids out there at halftime putting on a display and uh, playing a little game. And I'll tell you what, they brought the house down. It's so good. It does my heart so good to see people out supporting these kids and getting behind them and cheering for them. I mean, that was that was quite a scene in Orlando. Before I let you go, Trey, this is the last question I have for you today. Uh, you talk about your family, and you've got four kids. Did any of them play ball? Uh, no, no, no. My uh, youngest, well, well, my my oldest daughter. <laughs> true story. Can't make this up. <laughs> but, uh, my oldest daughter in high school, she was playing ball. I think that was her sophomore year. She's playing ball, pretty good. And I was always says, "How do you know how to play ball?" I never have you know coached them or taught them how to play they always just watch and uh but she was pretty good and so i thought it was just a god said that she could play uh so you know they so they get in the championship game jeff 
And, you know, in order to stop her, they doubled and tripled her, you know, beat her up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, But they broke two of her fingernails. Oh, no. And so the next year, the coach comes, called, and he said, well, you know, can Andrea, her name is Andrea, can Andrea play ball this year? I said, well, you got to ask Andrea. And I never forced them to play. And uh, so she came to me. So when Andrea came to me and said, well, Dad, I really don't want to play. So I said, why you don't want to play? She said, well, they broke my fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of her career. That's a great story. Trey, I want to thank you for being so gracious with your time. And I want to thank our mutual friend, John Eckert. He's one of the really great guys, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, John. John and I go way, way back. Yeah, he always helped us get out of get out into the neighborhood and do appearances and stuff like that. So yeah, he's a great guy. No doubt. Trey, this has been a real pleasure again. Thank you so much. Okay, Jeff, take care of yourself and stay safe. Thank you so much, Trey. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the all-time greats, Trey Rollins. And that was another great episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast with the voice Jeff Charles and his special guest, former NBA player Trey Rollins. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple Store. You can also visit our website at PR927FM.com. And you can follow us on social media at PR927FM to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, an exclusive presentation of of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.